had the privilege yesterday of going to a 50th anniversary of the church that I was at before this one, Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills, and uh, it was really neat to see some, some old friends and, and church family members and some pastors that I had served with, but the thing that was struck me the most was just God's faithfulness. This was a church that went through an extremely difficult season. Many difficult seasons, I imagine, but when I was there, we went through a very difficult time, and to see how God has brought that church through, carried it, loved it, and they are today proclaiming the gospel faithfully in South Orange County. Ah, That is good, and I could not help but think about our church and what God is doing here, the wonderful things that are happening. The report just last week of these 13 kids who were saying, yes, I want to know and follow Jesus. I want my life to be all about him. I can't help but get excited as I see the the things like the the open house we just did and and people coming onto this campus, lives here being, uh, well, they're here, and, and, and as each person got up out on on the lawn, the name of Jesus was spoken and proclaimed with power and authority and enthusiasm. God is doing great things, and what an awesome thing it is to be a part of this great work. Amen? Amen. I love this. You know, you can take away the name. You can take away uh, even, even, even me as the pastor. Pastors come and go. But this church is founded on a sure and solid foundation, the rock, Jesus Christ. And that is why this church will go on and why more and more and more people will hear the gospel proclaimed. And we come together as his people and we say, thank you, Lord. May we be faithful to the call that you have given us. And may we represent you well to a world that is in desperate need. I hope that that is your prayer. That is my prayer. Lord, we, we just come before you and we lay ourselves at your feet, recognizing that you are the sovereign God of the universe, that we are here because of you. We have breath in our lungs because of you, our molecules in our body that hold together because of you, Lord. But we went astray and we have been brought back together because of you. We thank you. Lord, help us to love each other well. Help us to be patient with one another. Lord, we fail each and every day sometimes in small ways, sometimes in very, very big, damaging ways, Lord. But thank you for Jesus. Lord, if he can forgive my sin, Lord, then he can enable us to forgive each other's sin. Lord, would you bring a unity here that we have not known before? Would you put in a joy in our hearts that we have not known before? Lord, would you lead others to you through this body like never before. We're so excited for the days ahead, and we are looking forward to how you are going to work. May you bring glory to yourself through us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We are in the Gospel of Mark. We are in chapter 11. I'm not going to give you any 
creative, fancy introductions or anything like that today. We're just going to read it and proclaim that this is God's authoritative word, that it makes a difference in our lives. It already has made a difference in our lives. Would you stand with me and turn to Mark chapter 11? We're going to finish out this chapter today. Mark chapter 11, verses 27 to 33. 11, 27 says this, And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We don't like it when people interfere with our affairs, do we? We don't like it. I didn't like it when I was growing up. I'm the oldest of eight kids. I had seven siblings that seemed to make it their mission in life to get into my stuff, to destroy my life, disrupt everything. I was one of those nerdy kids that, that you built things and just kind of quietly by myself. I'd, I built a massive aircraft carrier out of, out of Legos or, or constructs or something. And, and, and then I, I walked into the room and I saw one of my brothers using it as a trampoline and pieces are flying off all over the place. And I'm like, ah! I didn't get in trouble very often, but that was one of those days. And for good reason. But... I don't like people disrupting my life. I don't like people interfering with my life. Maybe you can relate. Maybe not to the seven siblings, but you can relate. You get irritated when people interfere. We don't like getting up interrupted. We don't like it when people are sticking their noses into our projects, giving their unwelcome two cents, changing this or that, or running and tattling on us. Oh, I don't like that. We work hard to arrange our lives the way they are. They may not be exactly the way that we would like, but what we have built, we want to hold on to. We don't want it disrupted. Jesus was a disruptor. We titled our study in the Gospel of Mark. Maybe you've seen it on the banners we have outside. Gospel of Mark, we call it the visitation. The subtitle is, When Hope Shook This Town. Of course, when we talk about hope, we're talking about Jesus. And when Jesus came to earth, he changed everything. He flipped it on its head. He turned it upside down. Do you remember the first time you felt an earthquake? <laughs> 1992, on my birthday, June 28th, I was 14 years old, and a 7.3 earthquake hit early in the morning, and I was terrified. 14 years old, not supposed to get scared. I was scared to death. I don't like it when the earth shakes beneath my feet. I want it sure. I want it steady. People didn't like Jesus shaking things up either. Not one bit. 
Jesus was a disruptor and interferer. What gives you the right, Jesus, to step in here and tell us that we have a problem, that we need to turn our lives around? Are you kidding me? Stop doing this, start doing that, pick up your cross and follow me? Seriously? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? You know, when we say what gives you the right, what we're really asking is by what authority do you think you can say these things or do you think you can do these things? And we're asking the exact same question as these religious leaders. Exact same question. It's the same question that Jesus was, that, that people were asking again and again and again throughout Jesus' ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21, you'll remember this. Jesus gets up. He's speaking in the synagogue, and people are amazed. We've heard our t- these teachers before. They've been prattling on about Torah for ages. But this guy is different. His teaching, it, just, it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. It, it, it hits hard. It's, it's soul-piercing. It, 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 it's the kind of teaching that you, you feel like you just can't ignore You have to do something about it. The response that they had was, they were astonished at his teaching, verse 22, for for he taught them as one who had authority. Who is this guy? Why is his teaching so much more powerful than all these other guys we've been hearing all our lives? A few moments later, a few verses later in Mark, a man starts crying out, interrupting Jesus The demons inside of him, they thought they were interfering. They thought, oh yeah, we're messing this thing up. And he he said, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus shocks them by taking control of the situation. All he says is, be silent. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Again, the response They were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority? These kinds of events, they sent shock waves through the Jewish religious establishment. Now the religious leaders, they had authority. They had authority. It came from a pedigree. It came from their background, their training, their experience, years and years of experience. They were the ones who were the rightful keepers of Jewish religiosity. But when a stranger blows into town, a stranger with no credentials, no pedigree, actually, wait, is he a stranger? I thought I heard from somebody that he's a carpenter's son. Whoa, there's no way that he can have any special kind of knowledge here. How does he know what God wants from us? Mark chapter 2. Jesus is teaching in a house. The roof starts opening up. A man's lowered down. You remember what Jesus did. You remember what he said. Your sins are forgiven. And everyone went, What? He can't do that. Only God can do that. Only God can forgive sins. What is going on here? Verse 24, Pharisees begin questioning the disciples. They're picking heads of grain on the Sabbath. This should not be done. And that's when Jesus puts them in their place and says that he is Lord 
even of the Sabbath. I have authority even over the Sabbath. And that's when the religious leaders begin to expose the fact that they really don't care about people. <laughs> they don't care about people who are suffering, people who are hungry, people who are destitute. All they care about is protecting their status their authority, their positions, their reputation, their significance in the eyes of the people. This is a popularity contest. Mark 7, 5, the Pharisees and the scribes, they jump all over Jesus' disciples. You're not following the traditions of our elders. What are you doing? Jesus takes them to the prophet Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Do you see what Jesus is getting at here? He's talking about authority here. The religious leaders, they had exchanged the authority of God's commandments and put in their place a list of religious rules and traditions. They exchanged authority. And so here we are in Mark chapter 11. We see Jesus walking into the temple. Remember, just the day before he was, he was in the temple, right? We talked about that last week. Do you remember what happened? Tables are being thrown. Chairs are being pulled out from the vendors of pigeons. And he's, he's disrupting everyone. And he's saying, my house shall be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of robbers. Who does this guy think he is? What gives him the right? So it's no real surprise when the next day he walks in with his disciples and, and the other gospels tell us that he started teaching. It's no surprise when the religious leaders, they start stepping to him quick. What's going on here? we got to put an end to this. We read that it was a whole band of them. A whole band of them. It wasn't just the chief priests. It was the scribes also. It was the elders also. Now, these groups, they didn't often get along on a lot of things. But one thing for sure they knew was that Jesus had to go. Had to go. He's got to be stopped. They come right up to Jesus and they ask, by, by whose authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do them? What did it really matter? Well, it mattered because it made the difference between whether or not they should get on board and actually start following, actually start listening, actually start validating what Jesus is doing, or just continue on with their own program. A good program, by the way, that they had going on. When it came down to it, the last thing, though, the last thing they wanted to do was step aside and submit to Jesus. I mean, why should we do that? We have the credentials. We have the birthright. Jesus is a, a newcomer. He, he doesn't have any of that. And yet, there he was grabbing up all the attention, saying things, doing people, things that were leading people to believe that he was somebody more special than they. When you think about it, Underlying all the questioning, all the res resistance from the religious leaders, at the heart of it, in their heart, was envy. It was pride, and it was envy. 
These weren't humble servants of God seeking only to stand up for truth and God's eternal purposes. No, that's not what they were about. If they were about that, they would have said, let's investigate this. Let's see if Jesus really is legit. Could he really be the Messiah? If he is, we want to blink arm in arm with him. But that was not what they were about. No, they wanted something else. They cared about something else. They were fearful that the nice gig that they had going on, all the prestige, all the power that they had amassed, which set them apart from everybody else, and they liked that, that was going to end. Jesus disrupted all of that. He was unwelcome interference with the good thing that they had going on. So believing, falling in with, following Jesus, that wasn't even an option. Not even a consideration. The most important thing was defending what was rightfully theirs. Their hearts were hard. The walls were up. The guns were out. When they asked, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? They weren't seeking knowledge. They weren't really wondering who. They were on the attack. They knew full well where his authority came from, but their pride and their calloused hearts led them to essentially say, what gives you the right to come in here and interfere with our system? How dare you cause this commotion? How dare you overturn these tables? What gives you the right? And that's when Jesus says, okay, I'll answer your question, but first you must answer a question of mine. And that might strike us as a little odd. It may strike us as Jesus is is trying to dodge here. But really, this was a way that rabbis often interacted with each other. They'd ask a question after a question had been asked to take everybody to a deeper level. Let's think about this on a deeper level here. It's actually the same thing that happened often when I was in seminary. A student would, there'd be those students in the front row. You know those students. I hope you weren't one of them. They're a teacher, professor, professor, I got a question. Thinking that asking these questions is going to make them look so good. Oh, they're so intelligent for thinking of this question to ask. And then the prof would ask them a question and us in the back. We'd go, yeah. And all of a sudden, everyone realized uh, they're not so smart as they think they are. Are, and I'd be sitting there in the back. Dr. Rowe, that's the place to be. <laughs> I'd be thinking, amateurs. Amateurs. When are they going to ever learn that if you just keep your mouth shut, then no one has to know how dumb you really are? <laughs> By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus asked a question. Was the baptism of John, was that from heaven or from man? Answer me. That seems a little out of left field, doesn't it? John, what does he have to do with any of this? Actually, he has a lot to do with this. A lot to do this because John's ministry was inseparably connected with Jesus. John, if you remember, was the cousin of Jesus His ministry, which Jesus refers to here as the baptism of John, he's referring to his whole ministry, it was about preparing the way for him, his preaching, his teaching, his calls for people to, to recognize their sin and repent from it, 
Most importantly, his refutable declaration that Jesus was the Messiah, all of that spoke loud and clear to the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be and where his authority came from. Bringing up John in his ministry, that was all the leverage Jesus needed to cause a major upset to this upper hand that the religious leaders thought that they had. They didn't like John. Now, we don't like John. Just like Jesus, John was a threat to their popularity, threat to their power, threat to their significance. The people, on the other hand, they loved John. He was that quirky, odd duck out there on the borderlands dressed in these weird clothes. We try not to get too close because we, we assume that there's a smell that goes along with that. Look what he's eating, what he's doing, what he's saying. John was a disruptor. And John was a man that the religious leaders were not happy with because he didn't answer to them. He didn't play by their rules. John wasn't their man. John was God's man, God's prophet. And like that old Hebrew national slogan, he answered to a higher authority. He absolutely did. Jesus' question was perfect. When Jesus put that to them, they were immediately dumbfounded. What are we going to do? All of them, all of these religious elites, they are, well, they have to call a huddle. Hey, sorry, Jesus, we'll, be, we'll, we'll get back to you in just a moment. Time out. Must have been embarrassing to see that. And they asked themselves, if we say from heaven... Well, he's going to say, why didn't we believe him? But then if we say he wasn't, he's not God's prophet, well, the people are going to be really upset because they all believe in him. They love him. They're for him. We can't say that. So here we are, a rock and a hard place. Notice there's no mention here about what's true or not. Well, what do you think, guys? Do you think John really is from God? No, they don't care about that. Truth wasn't what mattered here. They didn't really care about whether or not John's ministry was from God. All they cared about was themselves. How are we going to get out of this? <laughs> who got us into Who Whose big idea was it to ask this question of Jesus? You know, we can't contend with him. After talking it over, they decide on really the lamest answer. This is an answer that they probably never gave out. They didn't want anyone to think that they didn't know something, and yet all they can say is, we don't know. It was a lame answer. Actually, it was more than a lame answer. It was a lie. It was a lie. They knew. It all, it all, it all revealed that they just loved themselves. We don't know. Jesus says, well, neither am I going to tell you by what authority do I do these things. Now, why doesn't Jesus just tell them? Does he just want to make it known? It's no secret, right? Well, he doesn't tell them because they don't need to be told. They already know. 
And the problem wasn't that they didn't know. The problem was that they loved themselves too much to muster even the smallest ounce of humility to recognize Jesus for who he really was. Apparently, they thought they had too much to lose, which is very sad because they failed to see how much they had to gain. Isn't that the case with so many people today? No, he can't be who he says he is because if he is, I gotta rethink my life. If he is, I gotta pay attention to what he's saying. And that means I may need to step away from this or that or the other thing. I may even have to admit that I'm wrong. Afraid to lose when there's so much to gain. In Genesis 3, the first people that ever walked this planet, they traded God's authority to be an authority unto themselves. That's exactly what these guys were enslaved to. They had dug too deep. We've gone too far. We can't admit to ourselves and all these people, thousands of people who flock every year to this holy place. How can we reveal that we were wrong? They were enslaved to their own pride. It's the same thing we find ourselves battling with here in 2021. No different. When you and I stand face to face with the reality of Jesus, the real question is whether or not we will recognize his authority. Who is he to tell us that we have a problem? <laughs> Who is he to say that we're not making the best choices. Who's he to say that we're heading down the wrong path? We need to turn around, really? Who is he to tell us what we should think, what we should believe, how we should vote, what we should do with our money? We don't like people interfering with our affairs. I don't. Disrupting our lives? No way. Demanding our obedience? Hey, I'm out of my parents' house, all right? I'm an adult now. I don't like it. We want to determine what's best for us. We want to go and do what we think is best for us. And we don't want anyone to even question our decisions. And the same thing goes for our spiritual lives as well. We may identify as Christians, but there's a temptation lurking inside to be Christians on our own terms. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but this is the way I believe a Christian should be. Yeah, what the Bi that's what the Bible says, but <laughs> it can't actually mean that because that just doesn't fit with my thinking. It doesn't seem to mesh with the times that we're living in. No way. Could it be that we're holding on to tradition the way it's always been? 
the way we like it to be. And we fail to take a close look at what God's word says about what is really important. Could it be that we want so much to be liked, so much to keep the peace, so much to not be the odd ones out that we've begun to redact and reinterpret God's word to fit the here and now rather than humbly, faithfully, courageously let it speak on behalf of the one, the only one who really matters, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Could it be that we begin to use Christianity as just another way to validate ourselves, to boost our self-esteem, to tell us that we're okay just the way we are? When Jesus visited our planet, he shook it up. He turned it upside down. we got to remember that. Could it be that he wants to do the same in our lives? Even for those of us who have been believers for a long, long time. Are we willing to look carefully at his word, to take it for what it says, let it speak into our lives, or are we so set in our ways and so filled with pride and so even hard-hearted, that we're unwilling to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life and actually mean it. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you got to lose it. Have we actually considered what that means? What gives him the right to say something like that? I have to lose my life. What gives you the authority, Jesus? Matthew 28. After rising from the dead, just before he leaves his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You? The carpenter's son. Really? The, the one who lived like 2,000 some odd years ago? Times have changed a lot since then, Jesus. It's a little different now. What makes the things that you said back then relevant to my life today? And he answers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you believe that? Are you living like that? And does that authority include authority over you and me? If I take a long, hard look at my life, I'm not sure I'm living like that. At least not all the time. Some Christians these days say no. Maybe not with their lips, but with the, their lives. They speak very loudly. No, I can't believe what the Bible says about human sexuality. I, I can't. can't do that. No, I can't believe what Jesus said about storing up treasures in heaven. I've got, I've got a lot to lose here, Jesus. Look at all this stuff I've amassed. They can't, they can't say, yes, I'm going to submit to your authority when it comes to forgiving those who have wronged me so terribly. Yes, I know, Jesus, you went through some pretty horrible things, but you, have you taken a close look at what's gone on in my life? And these people that I entrusted themselves to, maybe it was one person in particular, I gave my life to them. I gave everything to them, and they 
threw it all on the ground, stomped on it, spit on it, lit it on fire. I've been crushed. No, I, I, can't, uh, I can't love that, that annoying or that awful person. They are just beyond. Making my life's mission about telling people about you? Really, you want my whole life to be about that? Making disciples? I don't know. Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Well, you see, Jesus, there's just a few other things that I'd like to do before I really put my time and energy in that. I'm afraid that too often people today have either intentionally or unintentionally, traded the all-authoritative Jesus of the Bible for a, a self-affirming, always there to help with my, my every, every worry and make me feel better, help you enhance your life rather than confront and change it, American kind of Jesus. One that takes his place among a long list of historical figures, of wise teachers, of good examples, and will allow him to speak into our life when it lines up with our agenda, when it advances our causes and boosts our pride. But when he starts to interfere with our plans, and our beliefs, and our traditions, and our way of doing things, then we begin to find ways of pushing him to the side, conveniently forgetting what he had to say, or carefully twisting his teaching into something that makes everybody just feel comfortable. That's when we make it clear what we think of his authority. And if that's what we're doing, then we might as well consider ourselves right there, arm in arm, with the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. If that's the case, then we're not followers of Jesus. Instead, all we've done is to expose the fact that we are still swearing allegiance to ourselves. And what's more... <laughs> If we're massaging what Jesus said and using it to fit our own agenda or to justify our own selfishness, then rather than making disciples and advancing his work, we're telling people about the name Jesus, but we're talking about a completely different Jesus, and we're actually destroying what Jesus came to lead us towards, and that is to himself, as revealed in the pages of Scripture. Have you given Jesus only some authority in your life? Only some. But there are bits and pieces that you're holding on to. Is it possible that there are areas that you and I are holding on to and unwilling to surrender to his authoritative rule? Is Jesus just another one of those unwelcome interruptions interfering with the good thing we have going on? Friends, even those of us who have been believers for a long, long time, let our prayer be, Lord, drop my pride. Lower my defenses. Help me recognize your authority over my time, over my 
talents, over my money, over my habits, my relationships, even my identity. Be Lord of that. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. May Jesus be our one and only King and Lord of our lives. Our Father, we, we come before you And Lord, if we truly recognized who you are, the sovereign king of the universe, the one who was, who is, who always will be, the alpha and omega, the great and mighty, Lord, I think we'd be quaking in our shoes. Lord, reveal to us a little bit more of your glory. May we understand what it means for you to have authority. And Father, if there are areas in our lives where we're holding back, we're not submitting, Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us, turn our eyes to you, soften our hearts, Lord, and our grip on those things, that they may be surrendered to you. Lord, you are good. This isn't about a power struggle. It's about letting go and falling into your good loving arms, the one who created us, who came to rescue us, and who is even now preparing a place for us that we might be with you for all eternity. We love you, Jesus. If there are people in this room or even watching this online, Lord, that do not yet know you, their hearts are still hard, they're still resistant, still afraid of how much there is to lose, Lord. I pray that you'd open their eyes. Lord, that you would reveal to them how much there is to gain and that they would come running and calling you their Lord and Savior. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen.